thank you very much, Michael, and uh, thank you uh, especially to Susanna this morning for uh, her telling of the story of uh, Jesus and his conversation uh, with the woman at the well in Samaria, and that introduces uh, very nicely for us uh, the passage of Scripture that we're going to look at today. So if you turn in your Bible then to John chapter 4, um, we're going to read the account that we have there of Jesus talking with a Samaritan woman. Um, we're doing this little series um, uh, really on conversations that Jesus had. Uh, last week we looked at Nicodemus and uh, today we're looking at this Samaritan woman. And it's really quite a contrast. Um, I mean, John in his gospel quite often gives us contrasts. And uh, last week it was Nicodemus, a man, uh, a leader of the Jews, educated, respectable, moral. Uh, and uh, this week it's a woman and who's anonymous and she's a Samaritan. And she seems actually to have a bit of a reputation and as a social outcast. So there's a quite a contrast. And yet Jesus comes and deals with each of them as an individual. You know, Jesus is concerned about each one of us as we are, who we are, where we're at. Um, and so let's read this account of Jesus and the woman at the well. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus Tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I, may, that, that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. 
I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. So reads God's word. Let's just take a moment to pray again. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. Thank you that these words have been recorded for us and preserved for us. And now today we can come to them, we can read them, we can study them, we can think about them. And we pray that as we do, that the Holy Spirit himself might give us understanding and be our teacher and guide. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wonder, have you ever ever eavesdropped on someone's conversation? I know that's not really something which you should do. It's not very polite. It's not very socially acceptable. But sometimes it's impossible not to overhear what someone else is saying. Maybe sometimes you might be in a coffee shop or on a bus or somewhere and the person next to you or behind you talks in a rather loud voice and so you learn all uh, kinds of different things. Now, sometimes I've had that experience, but I must say I've never actually heard anything of any great significance. I might have heard what they're going to have for their tea or something like that, but I've never heard anyone planning a bank robbery or murdering their wife or anything like that. Most of what you overhear from other people's conversations tends to be rather trivial and banal. But we're going to eavesdrop this morning really on this conversation that Jesus has with this woman at the well in Samaria. I think we have permission to do that. I think Jesus has seen to it that these, this conversation has been kept and recorded and preserved for our benefit now today. So it's perfectly legitimate for us to do this and to listen in uh, into this conversation. And as we do so, I think we'll discover that is a conversation full of significance. 
full of importance, full of truth, which helps us to understand really who Jesus is and what he has done for us. As we look at it this morning, I think there are four things really I want to draw your attention to. Uh, I think we'll see that Jesus breaks down all human barriers. We'll see that Jesus offers something better than the world has to offer. We'll see that Jesus exposes our human need. And we'll see that Jesus reveals the nature of true worship. So that's where we're going. Those are the four things that we're going to, I hope, discover in the passage as we look at it today. So first of all, I think we'll see that Jesus breaks down all human barriers. It seems that Jesus deliberately went out of his way to meet this woman. We read there in verse 4 that uh, Jesus had to go through Samaria. He was in Jerusalem. Um, that's probably where he'd had the conversation with Nicodemus. And he decides that he would return to, to Galilee, to Cana, Capernaum, those towns up there where he'd come from. And now that meant traveling, maybe a three, four day journey uh, uh, through dry and dusty roads uh, to get there. And Jesus decides that he'll go through Samaria. That was the land between Judea in the south and Galilee in the north. Now, he, this wasn't a geographical necessity. It wasn't that that was the only way he could go. It wasn't that that was the only road he could take. Um, religious, pious Jews who wanted to travel from Jerusalem to Galilee probably would have taken a different route. They might have gone over to the, the west, to the coast, and gone up that way, or they may have crossed over the Jordan and have gone up the east side of the Jordan because Jews didn't really have any dealings with Samaritans. And so most religious, pious Jews would have avoided this route. Yet Jesus had to go through Samaria. It was a necessity. It was something which he had to do because he had deliberately in mind that he wanted to meet this woman. So he chooses to go this way. And when he comes to the well in the middle of the day and he's tired and he's thirsty, he asks the woman for a drink. It seems a very natural request to make. Um, I have a, a friend who, who acts as a street pastor and he goes out you know, on Saturday evenings around some of the streets in Belfast, around the Golden Mile area. And when young people maybe are coming out of some of the pubs and they're, they're drunk or maybe somebody comes across someone sitting down by the side of the road and the drug's taken, the first thing he does is he offers them a bottle of water. Seems a very natural thing to do. It seems a good way of establishing some kind of conversation. And that's what Jesus does here. He, he asks the woman for a drink. And, and the woman is astonished because um, she says to him, uh, the Jews have no dealings uh, with the Samaritans. You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? 
for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. I mean, there's a long history of hatred and division between these two different groups. We won't go back into all the details as to how this has started hundreds of years before, but there was a huge gulf between Jews and Samaritans. They had no dealings with one another. They hated one another. I mean, this hatred that they had for one another was, was proverbial, really. I mean, you know, that's the shocking point of the parable which Jesus told about the good Samaritan. I mean, that the hero of that story was actually a Samaritan. That would have come as such a shock to the Jews. And so here what Jesus is doing in asking this woman for a drink, asking this Samaritan woman for a drink, is he's crossing over this racial barrier that was there. And he also was breaking the social custom of, of speaking to a woman in public. That just wasn't done in those days. You'll notice that um, when the disciples returned down in verse 27, it says, they were surprised to find him talking with a woman in the society of the, of the time. I mean, women were regarded really as second-class citizens. They were regarded as being inferior and um, I mean, I think one of the prayers that pious Jews prayed every day, that the rabbis or the Pharisees would pray, they would have thanked God every day that they had not been made a woman. And to speak in public with a woman ran the risk of being accused of some kind of immoral behaviour. So men didn't speak to women in public. Jews didn't speak to Samaritans. And it seems that this woman, too, has a bit of a checkered past. She does seem to be a bit of a social outcast because women went to draw water from the well in the cool of the day, usually in the evening time when the sun had gone down. But this is the sixth hour. This is midday. This is when the sun is at its hottest. And this woman comes not in a group with her friends, but she comes on her own when nobody else will be there, probably because... She's a bit of a social outcast. There were lots of reasons why Jesus should not have spoken to this woman. So Jesus, it seems, quite deliberately goes out of his way, breaks down these social barriers, and speaks to her. Jesus had, in the previous conversation we looked at, had told Nicodemus, how to enter the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is open to all who believe, regardless of who they are. And that's the point that Jesus, I think, is clearly making here, that the kingdom of God is open to all who believe, whether they're educated or uneducated, whether they're wealthy or poor, whether they're a respectable churchgoer or a moral pagan, whether they're a Jew or Samaritan, whatever the differences between us, we all need Jesus. The gospel is for everyone. Jesus said that he came to seek and save the lost. Nicodemus was lost. He was spiritually in the dark in spite of all his religion. And this woman too was lost. And so Jesus reaches out to her there's no place, you see, for any kind of 
spiritual superiority or snobbishness in the Christian faith. We're all equal before God. We're all equally sinful and need to be saved. We're all equally saved only by the grace of God, by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We in the church can't look down on anybody else and think we're better than them. The gospel is for everyone. We're all equally in need of his salvation. And we see here Jesus setting aside all human barriers in order to reach this woman who was lost. The second thing then which I think we see in in the conversation is that Jesus offers this woman a new dimension to life. He offers her living water. Notice in verse 10, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would, not, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now, the woman doesn't appear to understand. What is Jesus talking about here? Living water. You know, Jesus, again, this was something which Jesus does again and again. He takes something physical and gives it a, uses it to sort of teach a spiritual truth. You know, he did that with Nicodemus and he talked about physical birth when really he wanted to get across to the point about spiritual rebirth. So again and again, Jesus takes something which is physical uh, and, and uses it to teach something which is spiritual. And the woman uh, appears not to understand. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself? And Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So Jesus is talking, when he talks about living water, he's talking about, he's talking about spiritual life. He's talking about the life which the Holy Spirit creates. He's talking about eternal life. He's talking about uh, life in all its fullness, in all its dimensions. It goes deeper and it never ends. It truly satisfies. It's a new dimension to life which this woman knew nothing about. I mean, I can remember the days when you bought a record and it was mono and then stereo came in. I can remember the days when television was in black and white and then colour came in. You know, new dimensions that we hadn't thought of before. Now you can go to a cinema and you can see a film in three dimensions with surround sound in colour. It's a long way from the old black and white silent movies to completely new dimensions. And Jesus is talking here about a new dimension to life. It's life lived on a different level. It's life with a a different heartbeat. It's a, a new kind of life. Eternal life. It goes deeper and it never ends. 
and it truly, truly satisfies. Um, the Irish rock band, uh, U2, um, they have a song which goes, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Um, that's the kind of line which keeps being repeated. I've climbed the highest mountains. I've run through the fields only to be with you, only to be with you. I've run, I have crawled, I have scaled these city walls, these city walls only to be with you. But I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Uh, that's a, a line, I think, which resonates with many people. That they haven't found what they're looking for in life. That they look for satisfaction and meaning in life through maybe success in, in work or in, in their education. Or they look for satisfaction in the relationships or in pleasure or um, drink or drugs or something else. They're looking for some kind of satisfaction in life. But it's only God and a relationship with Him that can give us this deep and lasting satisfaction. St. Augustine, one of the early fathers in the church, said, You've made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. In the book of Jeremiah, God expresses His astonishment at how His people have turned away from Him and turned to idols that cannot satisfy. He says, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken Me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns, that cannot hold water. There's an old hymn 19th century hymn, a very different genre from U2 and their music. But it, it, has a, it goes something like this. I tried the broken cisterns, Lord, but ah, the waters failed. Even as I stooped to drink, they fled and mocked me as I wailed. Now none but Christ can satisfy None other name for me. There's love and life and lasting joy, Lord Jesus, found in thee. So you see, Jesus offers a new dimension to life. A spiritual dimension that truly satisfies, that goes deeper and never ends. So Jesus, you see, he crosses all human barriers. And, and Jesus offers this new dimension to life. And then I think the third thing which we see here in the conversation is that Jesus exposes the woman's need. If you look at verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And then Jesus told her, go back, go call your husband and come back. Go call your husband and come back. 
The woman still doesn't understand, so Jesus probes a bit deeper into her life to make her see that she has a need at a deeper level than the physical. She says, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. And I think Jesus, in, in quite a gentle way, but nonetheless a very firm way, exposes this woman's need. She's had five husbands. And the man she's now living with is not her husband. Now, we don't know precisely what has happened, whether they died or, ha- or whether she's just been divorced, and probably a mixture of both. So she's experienced lost or broken relationships. She'd experienced hurt and heartache. She was now living with a man who was not her husband. The rest of the woman didn't approve, and this was why she was on her own. She was probably feeling both guilty and unhappy. She'd been hurt. She'd been abused. She'd failed. She'd done wrong. So underneath the surface, you see, there was a deep need in her life to be forgiven, to be healed, to have a fresh start. And only God could give her this. But she had to be made aware of her need before she could see how God was the answer. We have to come to a point in life where we realize that we cannot find forgiveness or happiness or satisfaction without God. We have to turn to Him. You know, Paul, writing to his letter to the Romans, says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us, whether we're like Nicodemus and we're religious and respectable, or whether we're like this woman who's guilty, and unhappy. We all need God. And God has provided in Jesus the one who alone can meet our need. But we have to turn to Him. So Jesus, you see, crosses all these human barriers. Jesus offers a new dimension to life. Jesus exposes our need. And then in the last part of the conversation, I think we see how Jesus reveals the nature of true worship. Verse 19 says, Sir, the woman said, I can see you are a prophet. Our fathers worship on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Now, at first sight, it might appear she's trying to avoid the issue. You know, it might seem that this is a bit of a diversionary tactic. You know, sometimes people, when they begin to think that the spiritual conversation is becoming a bit too personal, raise some theological issue. You know, it could be something trivial like, um, where did Cain get his wife from? You know, you've probably heard that one. Or or it could be something much more serious and, and really deserving, some kind of answer like, Why does God allow so much suffering in the world? But at some point, maybe a person who's beginning to feel that they're being confronted by Christian truth maybe tries to divert 
the question away from themselves and their own personal relationship with God. We could read it like that, or, or maybe maybe we could read it a bit more sympathetically towards her. Maybe she, maybe, reali- maybe she realizes, yes, she does need God in her life, but she's now wondering, well, where can she find him? You know, if she's going to begin to worship God, um, where, where should she, should she do that on this mountain? She probably looks across, and there's Mount Gerizim, and that's where the Samaritans had built the temple. It had now been destroyed by this time, but uh, they had built their own temple there, and they still, even though it had been destroyed, did still worship there. And so she says, I'm a Samaritan, should I go to Mount Gerizim? Or you Jews say we have to go down to Jerusalem, to Mount Zion, where the temple's there, and worship there. Okay, if I'm looking for God, what church do I go to? You know, should it be a Protestant or Catholic? Um, should it go to the Baptist church or the Presbyterian or the Pentecostal? You know, what Jesus says to her, it's not where you worship, but it's how you worship. And who you worship. Jesus replies to her and says in verse 21, Believe me, woman, the time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshippers that the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in spirit and truth. And Jesus replies, yes, her need will be met by becoming a true worshipper of God. But true worship is not about where she worships. It's not about where we worship. It's not about the place. It's not about the geographic location. That doesn't matter. It's not about the building or anything like that. It's not about the outward form. It's not about the ritual that you follow. It's not about whether you sing old hymns or new songs. It's not about any of those things. At the heart of the matter is it really depends on how you worship and who you worship. That you worship in spirit and truth and you worship God as your Father in heaven. And Jesus is the one who makes this possible. Because he is the Messiah. He is the Christ. So the woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is the one that God has sent to to deliver us from our sins. He is the one who has come to restore all things. He is the one who has come to make it possible for us to know God as our Father in heaven. And so Jesus is saying that true worship, to worship in spirit and truth, means worshipping God as our Father by the power of the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ, His Son, our Saviour. That's what true worship is when we come to know that Jesus is the Son of God, who came into this world to save us from our sins, 
who died on the cross in our place, when we come to him and surrender our lives to him and trust in him, then he forgives us our sins. He gives us eternal life. He puts his spirit within us and he enables us to truly worship God as our Father in heaven. See, God is not some abstract principle. God is not some impersonal force. God is not some unknowable mystery. God is our Father in heaven. He is a personal being to whom we can relate, whom we can know, to whom we can enter into a relationship with and to know Him as our Father in heaven. Worship, you see, is, is not for God's benefit. God doesn't need our worship. It doesn't make him any greater than he is. It doesn't add anything to him. It's not to boost his ego or make him feel good about himself. Worship is for our benefit. We have been made for God. He is our creator. We have been made in his image. We have been made to have a relationship with him. This is what he seeks. He is seeking this for our good. And that's why he has sent his Son, to be the Savior of the world. This is the true worship, you see, which Jesus makes possible. And that brings us really to the end of this conversation that Jesus had with the woman at the well. I think we see how Jesus breaks down all human barriers. That Jesus offers life in all its fullness. That Jesus exposes our deep-seated need. And Jesus makes possible true worship. And I think the woman was changed by this conversation with Jesus. At the end of the incident, really, when the disciples come back, I don't know what happens, but the woman... I don't know whether she's a bit flustered or not by the arrival of the disciples. Or, or I think maybe it's because something has happened to her. So she leaves her water jar there. She forgets about the water that she came to draw from the well. She has, she has received this living water. And so she goes back to the town and she tells the other people there, That's a bold thing for her to do, a courageous thing for her to do, given her her circumstances. But she goes back and tells others because I I believe she has become a worshipper and a witness. She's met Jesus. He's answered her deepest need. Her life has been changed. And she's become a worshipper and a witness. And I suppose the challenge for us this morning is, well, has that happened to us? Has that happened to you? Have you met Jesus? Have you been changed by him? Have you become a worshipper and a witness? Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word which has been written for our instruction and our learning. And we thank you for Jesus. Thank you that we see him here in all his humanity. The eternal Son of God who has become man. We thank you for how we see him here at this well in Samaria, in the noonday sun, tired and thirsty. And yet we see him full of love and compassion for this woman who is lost. We thank you for his conversation with her. We thank you what we learn about him. And we pray today that we too might know him to be our saviour. And that we too might be worshippers and witnesses. We ask this in Jesus' name. And for his glory. Amen.